You're listening to the Screaming Pods Network. Welcome. We must search for what is truth. You doubt me. Seek proof. What is truth? And what is God? The first duty is to the truth, whether it's scientific truth or historical truth or personal truth. Then here is the proof you seek. You don't really want an answer to that question. Jennifer Knapp burst onto the Christian music scene and was instantly an evangelical darling. Over a four-year period, her three albums would sell over one million copies, and at the age of 27, she'd set up a nice career in the CCM industry. However, back-to-back albums and extensive touring proved to be an unsustainable lifestyle for Jennifer, and she longed to have some time just to be a normal human being. She quietly went on a seven-year hiatus at the top of her game. I come into this place Burning to receive your peace The Christian rumor mill did what it does best. Is Jennifer Knapp suffering from an illness? Are there deep, dark struggles she's dealing with? Could she be gay? Those questions were answered in 2009 when Jennifer announced a new album called Letting Go. As she began touring and doing press for her new album, she was honest about her sexuality and that she'd been in a same-sex relationship for eight years. put a lot of young evangelical fans in somewhat of a predicament. Jennifer Knapp was so beloved and embraced by the CCM community. Was she allowed to be Christian and gay? This isn't a new moral crossroads for Christian music lovers. In fact, CCM artist Ray Bolts had come out as gay a year prior. Many Christian fans, however, used the word sad to describe Jennifer Knapp's announcement and the Christian media, as well as the mainstream news outlets, were scooping up opinions and talking points left and right. But all of this didn't stop Jennifer Knapp. By embracing who she is, she found a new spark of creativity and passion in her music, as well as a platform to discuss LGBTQ issues and inclusion in a religion that has been so quick to shun and silence LGBTQ believers. You're with me everywhere I go You always love to wind and roll That's why we're standing here right now Yeah, we found our way I'm Sean DeRigger, and welcome to the Armchair Philosopher. Let me wonder why you've waited 
Well, today on The Armchair Philosopher, I, I'm just nervous and excited all at the same time. Uh, Jennifer Knapp joins me on, on the podcast. Jennifer, welcome. Oh, glad to be here. <laughs> I, I get these weird nervous ticks sometimes when I'm talking to someone who I've been following their journey for quite a while, who've had an impact on me. So uh, if I stutter or anything, uh, apologies all around. If, any, if anyone could just extend some grace my way, that'd be awesome. Uh, I just happen to think this really humorous because why anyone would be nervous around me always makes me laugh. So like, oh my gosh, I'm the biggest nerd on the planet. So relax, it's all good. Okay, okay. Until you screw up and then I, uh, I, um, you know, if you screw up, I just take a finger, but I start at the pinky and then work my way to the thumb. (laughs) Okay, all right. (laughs) Well, one of the reasons why I really wanted to talk to you was because, um, as everyone knows who's listened to my podcast, about 10 years ago, I started kind of my path on deconstruction and a huge catalyst to that was my thoughts and uh, how I perceived the LGBTQ community. So when um, just based on my upbringing, based on the churches I was involved in, based on the the company I was working for at the time, I was working for a Christian company. I had worked for Christian bands uh, in the past before. So I'd, I'd toured, I'd kind of been in this bubble of uh, Christian entertainment slash hip, cool Christian stuff, but there was, you know, there were certain topics that uh, were always kind of taboo. And when I, uh, when I read about that, you had your, your new album had just come out and you, uh, almost called letting go, I believe. And, um, is that right? Is that right? That is correct. Perfect. Okay. Um, (laughs) and so that album had just come out and then I read an interview, um, and that was always, and then that was like the talk. The talk of the Christian community was, oh my God, Jennifer Knapp's gay. And then um, and then shortly after that, or around the same time, I was listening to a lot of uh, sermons from Jay Baker, and he was talking about inclusion, inclusion in the church and uh, pr- uh, approaching uh, just a different take, you know, in the, in the organized Western Christianity on, on these topics. And so, so, uh, so you were... A, you're a little piece of my story when it comes to that. So it's just an honor to talk to you. Well, I, you know, it's so funny because you like that kind of moment <laughs> in what in contemporary like Christian entertainment history or something that I have like the weird honor <laughs> of being it. You know, know you right? said that like, you know, it, it's it, like that. Oh, my God, Jennifer Knapp is gay. Like <laughs> when you said it that way for the first time, I've never thought about it this way. But it's not this. I because it's funny, because so many people weren't surprised that I was gay. Like, everybody's like, oh, I always knew. I'm like, well, geez, thanks. I wish you'd told me about 10 years ago. Um, my sex life would have been totally different. Um, but that's all to say is that, like, it, I don't think, like, the, the shock of it wasn't so much, you know, that about my sexual orientation, but I think the shock of just my willingness to just say it mm-hmm. and put it out there. Because there, I think, and one of the reasons why I bring that up is, like, I, there are a lot of you know, LGBTQ people inside a faith-based community that don't have the luxury or, you know, the circumstances in which they're, you know, they can come out without, you know, risking their livelihood. And that's, and I think it's, it's also important for me to realize that they're, even upon assumption, I don't have specific names when I say this, but I, I do know for a fact that there are, were, other gay people long before me. It's just the the time and place at which that I was willing to talk about it, I think, and, um, you know, put that out there, I think is just kind of an interesting thing to me. It's, it's not that, you know, anybody was necessarily surprised, but just kind mm-hmm. of this weird thing is like all of a sudden having to put it on 
the table is something that we are talking about inside of faith community, about what it is that we've been saying about the LGBTQ community, what we mean about um, what, you know, what does it mean to practice faith and how does our sexuality and the way that we talk about these things in public is just one of the times that I, you know, I feel like if, if there's anything I've been at, able to add to it, I think that's the point. It's not that, oh, wow, you know, I was like the first gay person because obviously <laughs> that's not true. But, you know, it's a time and a place of being able to say, no, we're we're going to deal with this now. Mm-hmm. And being one of the, you know, it's a it's certainly an honor and a privilege to be able to be one of those people who's been afforded the opportunity to, to be able to put that on the table. And maybe I was even more attuned to it just because of the company I worked for. And that was like the water cooler conversation, you know, in, in the office, because we had dealt with a lot of bands. We were kind of just this like skate. Uh, I don't know what do you call these types of brands. N.O.T.W., Not of This World. Uh, we were in Christian bookstores man. and, <laughs> you know, <laughs> trying to uh, appeal to the cool, young, hip Christians with message shirts and <laughs> things like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was the, the top of conversation. And for me, internally, uh, I was hearing all these conversations and you know, people being like, I need to reevaluate uh, her music and if I can even listen to her music anymore and things like those types of conversations were just baffling to me because to me, I was like, oh, okay, that changes nothing on who this person is as an entertainer and as a person. So it, that kind of started the unraveling of, uh, of all this for me and kind of approaching this conversation uh, in a different way and, and standing up for friends and the LGBTQ community. And then of course, in the long long run, you know, getting a lot of flack from those friends and leaving that world of working and kind of being in that world. It was just, uh, it's it's a fascinating subject to me because, uh, it's still like a taboo thing. Um, I was involved in a Facebook conversations, a Facebook conversation. And, uh, uh, there's an author by the name of Matthew DiStefano of the, uh, the, uh, whole, the, was it the Holy Heritage? No, the Heritage Happy Hour podcast. I believe you were on there. Um, and he, mm. I think you were interviewed on there. Yes. I've been on a lot of Heritage You've been on so podcasts. many. <laughs> well, I don't mean to slight the, the Heritage <laughs> cast that I've been on by not remembering the names. But uh, yeah, I, I've been making the Heretic round and, <laughs> for, for a few years now. <laughs> oh my God. Well, he had thrown out, you know, because I, I believe some, the Christian thinker or something had said, you know, uh, Hey, we let, you know, we let LGBTQ, you know, interact in church and come to church and be a part of church, but we draw the line of gay marriage. And then that conversation over the past few days has <laughs> been, uh, been going around. And I just, just saw, I just like last night I was like my, like I had like a, I don't know. I, I not depression, just like, um, just like a sad, just a sadness in, in, in my soul that this is even a, still a conversation and that so many people are coming out of the woodwork, uh, just not even reading what they're writing, just thinking that they're coming at this from, in their minds, I guess, a loving way, but just the, just the, the tone of the conversation and the things people were saying, I was like, do these, do, does everyone realize what they're saying here? Why, why is this still a thing? And that's something that I guess we're going to, we're, you know, we're still on an uphill battle with, with all this, um, in these circles. But what have you seen as far as this? Cause you're not, you're out of the Christian music industry. You're out of that bubble. Do, is this something that you see that you are, uh, in, in, in your, I guess your circle? 
Well, I mean, I think one of the things I think about is like kind of listening to what you're saying too, is like, it's kind of like the frog in the pot. And, and, and you, especially when you talk about circles, right? Like the, our daily surroundings and the communities that we're in. And so the, like the driving conversation is what sometimes we can take, um, take for granted the kind of things that are being said until all of a sudden something challenges the way that, that we've kind of assimilated the information that we've got. Right. And I think that's part of the issue, I think, that I see with with Christianity, particularly with LGBTQ communities. We've been like kind of non-existent for a really long time. Mm -hmm. And and somewhere in there, you know, it doesn't I mean, I don't know. It's not a very common thing. Like if somebody says something that slights me in passing, I don't you know. Jen, you're an idiot or something. I don't know. <laughs> like, it, it depends on the time and the place at which I will turn and be confrontational. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're not always that way, right? Especially when we're hurt or injured. And I think sometimes I I, I, I don't know, you know, I, I really kind of want to, it's an interesting thing to me, the history of how we got to this place where it's like being a Christian was synonymous with being straight. I mean, <laughs> I, you know, like slowly, I think, I, I tend to think, think that these the ways that we talked about our faith communities and our churches kind of was like a frog in a pot the temperature rose to a certain point to where it just became assumed that no christians were gay Mm -hmm. Um, until you know there were no christians you know there were no gay christians around willing enough to you know be injured by the types of sermons i mean it hurts so bad we just leave it's intolerable and the the second side of that is you know when somebody's speaking from an intolerable position of that's that's hurtful to somebody and basing that on something that they're claiming is a truth so i i think you know in the last 10 15 years plus as lgbtq people have said listen okay i've heard what you've had to say theologically what strikes me as amazing is we you know so many of us just didn't say, okay, yeah, you're right. We went to the sacred text. We went to our traditions. We've gone to seminaries. We're, and we're coming out the other side of it going, this is problematic. <laughs> you know, what we've been teaching and the temperature in this room is not good. So um, it's not conducive to life, right? Mm-hmm. And not inclusive of all of this. And I, I, if, if I take a positive out of that that kind of turmoil, I think that not just LGBTQ people are experienced, but if we, you know, if we slap the phrase, you know, progressive Christians on the <laughs> top, of it, I think out of the last 20 is particularly, you know, talking about the, the height of Christian commerce, you know, in the late nineties and early two thousands, where we all just found jobs and we were working and it was just this lovely environment where there were so many opportunities for, for people to participate with other Christians in a community, you know, in, in their jobs, not just, mm-hmm. you know, it didn't mean just being a, a pastor or a youth leader. It meant having jobs, selling T-shirts and working in bookstores and being entertainers and, you know, being in, in like bubbles in community. And I don't necessarily I, I think it's unfortunate that we call them bubbles when yeah. there were you know, some really thriving communities out there that were really doing some fun cultural things at the same time. Like we didn't really test ourselves. And, and now that I think that 
that's all to say that I think inside of that environment, the positive thing that I take about it is that we didn't all just drink some Kool-Aid. I mean, I think there was a deeply meaningful religious experience and spiritual experience that a lot of people took, took on board. I know that like for me, like this has been a life altering experience to, to, to see the world in a particular way that I'm valuable and human beings are valuable. And we have a, you know, an opportunity for connecting with the divine and taking that seriously to, to the extent of we anticipate transformation in our lives. But what, you know, I think the end of the day is we've taken seriously what is that question to be transformed inside of this faith tradition. And as we've been serious about that, we realize, hold on a second, you know, we have been denying the opportunity for transformation for a lot of people and assuming that the transformation that we'll, we'll have, that we all look cookie cutter or that that experience is universal to the point that, you know, it's heterosexual, it's male dominated, it's female submissive. I and mean, there are a lot of you know, it's it's racially charged at times, you know, colonialism, I could spout a whole bunch of things you know, <laughs> on the critique mm-hmm. of, you know, capitalism and ongoing. Like, But I think that, that speaks to the depth of which I think people take seriously how their relationship is with their creator and how they want to live in the world um, and making a distinction between just having a religious practice where you're part of the group that you get to say, yes, I am a, you know, a card carrying member of the Southern Baptist convention or, you know, or the UCC or, you know, United Methodist or whatever um, that, that I think there's a depth there that goes beyond the, the, just the bubble quote unquote that we could hang around, but seeing that we're actually a, a larger part of that community. And that's a real test of it. I, mm. I, I, and I'm actually encouraged by, so yeah, in a lot of ways it's, it's shocking to me that some people have doubled down. Um, but I, it's also really encouraging to me that, that a lot of people are starting to wake up and say, listen, you know, having a relationship with the divine and trying to understand something about the Christian experience isn't, as tied to sexual orientation and gender identity as if we've made it out to be. In fact, it's it's quite limiting to the spiritual experience that we have. So that 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 is to me really exciting and a new sense of liberation for people that they're finding through their spiritual experiences. So, you know, that's a gift, I think, by being for those who understand it and those who have like gotten over the, that hump, I think that's the gift that people are starting to wake up to is that, wow, you know, when we start hearing and listening to the stories of the people, our community, um, and allowing that narrative to bring fruit to our communities, that's that to me is what church is about. We're bringing our stories into, you know, all of us, we're bringing our stories, our creation, our our goodness into this this community and sharing that with one another it's it's that's a different prospect than saying we're checking our humanity at the door and only allowing certain people who qualify into this space it's mm-hmm. it's an we're turning that on its head and i and to me it's exciting to think maybe we might be uh, i don't want to be too grandiose about it but perhaps <laughs> returning to something is kind of the the thing that it makes me think about and yeah that's what keeps me engaged today. I mean, I, I'm shocked by that because I got to tell you, I was pretty happy in coming out thinking that I would wash my hands of the religious community and never have anything to be obligated to anymore. And the <laughs> idea, you know, the idea of that sounded really exciting to me yeah. that I could just go live my life. But, um, <laughs> that's, that kind of idea was also incredibly lonely and, 
and not really the fullness of who I am. Like I started to realize that there's community out there and there's a a new way of thinking, not, I don't even even like that word, a new way of thinking about church, but a a returning to the the idea where two or more are gathered, that's Mm -hmm. church. And, and what does that mean? And how do I, what work do I do that kind of escapes trying to be just simply religious and connect to other human beings and creation and the divine. And I, I, that's, and still, you know, be honoring of, of the tradition that got me to that that way of hope and liberation mm-hmm. in the first place. I wanted to kind of jump back a little bit. Um, and I'm, I was curious, what what brought you into uh, into the Christian faith originally? And then um, and then I guess we can go from there. I want to go back a little bit and learn about uh, young Jennifer Knapp. And, uh, (laughs) what, what, what was it about Christianity that really, uh, brought you to a place of something that you're like, this is something that I want to pursue. And then, and then we can go from there. I have some more questions, uh, kind of around that and and through that. Yeah. Um, well, as a Midwestern girl, I'll first say that everybody kind of believed in God where they grew up and, and I had exposure to church on, you know, and and Christianity. It just kind of, I, I kind of took for granted that everyone around me was a Christian or everybody believed in God. And then I got to school and was a, basically a conquest of Southern Baptist missionaries <laughs> at, at my university. And I had a lot of you know evangelical friends that saw me in a really rough patch. And I've got to be honest. I mean, had had I not had I not experienced their love and their mm-hmm. outreach and their prayers, I might not be alive today. I mean, mm-hmm. I was on a path of, of legitimate self-destruction with alcohol abuse and, and, you know, dangerous behaviors. And I didn't really care or value about my life. And so that I responded to Christianity with this, the sense of hope of rescue mm-hmm. and the gospel was good to, news to me. Um, but the, probably the most truest seed that I would hold to is just, it was the the epiphany for me was this idea that I was a human being of worth and value. And even when I didn't value myself, there was something out, this mystery that I didn't yet understand that, that I was loved by God. And I I think that's the thing I remember today and that I kind of keep with me today is that you know, I don't even think you have to believe in God or the divine necessarily to understand the depth. When I say it like in the inverse, right? Mm-hmm. And I say God doesn't love you. I think we get an idea immediately. Like you don't have to care about God. I think to understand what an insult it is when somebody says that God doesn't love you and that mm-hmm. you don't matter. You know that your space in this world is insignificant. Um, and that for me was the appeal. That that epiphany of I'm not insignificant. I am worthy of being loved, and I am worthy of having a life. And I did not know what that meant at all, but I desperately wanted it. And and so that that began my my faith journey um, with and Christian. And what I would say is its attachment to Christianity, even to this day, is that's the language where I learned love. That's yeah. the language where I learned grace and forgiveness, and had an introduction to these concepts that. Regardless, you know, I think of the 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 particular doctrines that go from one church to the other. There was there was something in that that's a thread that I'm still pulling on today. Did you um, so as you got through college and as your music career started taking off, um, did you start seeing the kind of the grasp of Western Christianity once you got into kind of the Christian music world. I know that, uh, for example, I know that I did when I was, I, I worked for a band called Pillar 
And uh, right. we'd, <laughs> we'd go on tour with uh, Skillet and bands like that. Um, yeah. Joy, Joy Williams was on a tour once. <laughs> she yeah. was super young. And but uh, I I would see that when we would show up to a church and the pastor or the youth pastor would be like, so what are you going to do for the altar call? And uh, can you make sure you don't play this one song? Because this one song is kind of, you know, not Christian, you know, things yeah. like that. Um, what was your experience with that? Like, when did you kind of start seeing the grip of kind of the, the toxic uh, Christianity uh, in w- yeah. within, within all that? <laughs> uh, well, I th- I think I probably start started feeling it within a couple of weeks, <laughs> but I didn't know it then, you okay, know, like, right. <laughs> one of the stories I've been telling on tour lately is how, you know, I was this conquest for most of my friends, mm. you know, like I was the kind of girl who got quote unquote, got saved that everyone right. was just shocked. Like I, it was a miracle that <laughs> I showed up at church on Sunday and I was, I was there gratefully. And then, you know, I would I would walk out of church, light up a cigarette and go, that was a fucking amazing sermon. And people would go, whoa, like so much would go wrong, <laughs> you know, right off the bat. Like I was just making people's heads spin. And there, you know, immediately there was this kind of call to discipleship that was that was both beneficial because I, I was a hardcore disciple. I mean, I read my Bible with abandon and I really dug into my faith. I wanted to know it. I wanted to know what I was, I I wanted to understand something that I like, there was no slightness about this at the same time, like that, the idea of that kind of, you know, kind of reaching back to that idea of transformation, the expectation that I would look and be like everything expect, you know, everyone expected me to be, that I would be now all of a sudden this demure woman who was waiting for a man to marry me and serve and have babies in that way. And that was my new role. That just never made sense to me. And that was kind of like, I got to be honest, like within a couple of weeks of being inside and and starting to like build my community in that way, it was so pervasive in the everyday language and the expectations mm. and just like taken for granted. It was just said so blithely and yet so seriously that I just was like, oh, my God, like what did I just sign up for? And do I have to sign up for that? And do I still get access to God if I don't? even understand where, you know, what you guys are saying to me. So I think from the very beginning, I felt a sense of, of, of frustration, you know, attached to this, this newfound life. And, and, but I think it took me some years and I, that's ultimately what kind of led my departure from contemporary Christian music Mm -hmm. and walking away in 2002 was just that I am not going to be able to transform to this expectation of on a variety of levels, you know, I don't, I don't know that I'll be able to, to vote across the board Republican or be, you know, unreservedly pro-life or, you know, put any of the things on the, you know, whatever the list of the most conservative evangelical Christian list is, um, and, and how they change. And so, yeah, and it wasn't until I got out of it, then kind of circling back around, I was like, it wasn't until I got out of it and I kind of self-destructed. And like you said, you get to that point of whether you're going to either set it on fire or completely tear <laughs> it apart. Either way, you know, shit's hitting the fan. And I I started to realize that, that I lived inside of a culture mm-hmm. and that Western Christianity is not only a thing, but American Christian culture is a thing. Uh, 
you know, the the industry in which that I worked and the commerce, the place of Christian industry, you know, and entertainment was a culture. And it wasn't until I stepped out of it that I realized, wow, like there are other voices here. There are other people who are having that share in the same faith tradition that I had I knew existed, but I'd never lived in. And I'd never been allowed to experiment outside of the script that I'd been given and realizing that there's a whole lot, you know, if you want to look at it like a library, there wasn't just one book in the library. There's a lot. And all of us are capable of being able to communicate to that. So yeah, it was a strange thing. It wasn't until I was willing, um, the the straw having kind of break the camel's back, But before I move off of that, I, I think the thing that that's devastating is that's 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 a space that a lot of people go to. You get to that baby or the bathwater, and that to me is a tragedy. That yeah. if we continue, that's the warning of or the critique of the church. I would say now is if we if we don't you know if we assume that the deconstruction is a, is a loss of faith, that's you know, I, I, it's a really dangerous place to be. And I think it's one of the reasons it's contributing to the discontent of a lot mm-hmm. of people, the pushback for people who are still there that are, you know, still trying to be quote unquote progressive and, and trying to like bring our doubts and our concerns and, and growth to the table. That's, that's the real risk. And, and for those who are in environments where that's not possible. And again, this kind of circles back around for a lot of LGBTQ people. It means being rejected from our communities. It means a loss. It means losing your job. It means, you know, financial pain, uh, social pain and family pain. And um, and that's just that to me is so contradictory to the faith that was an epiphany of liberation and love and and grace and presence with other people. Yeah. My uh, my pastor told me a couple weeks back um, she's, she's gay and, um, an amazing, amazing pastor. I need to put some of her YouTube, uh, sermons up, but anyway, she goes, Sean, she goes, curiosity is a shit starter. (laughs) (laughs) It is, isn't it? It's like, yes, it is. You, yeah, it's like you, you're like picking up stuff you shouldn't pick up. You're (laughs) pressing on bruises. You're going into areas that you weren't invited into. Yeah. It's amazing. (laughs) That perspective is so, is so great. And, you know, uh, and that's, and, and that's something that I struggled with when I was kind of going through my stuff was I, I held on to the message of love and grace, um, that Jesus talks about in the new Testament, but I didn't but then I was learning about how the Bible's written and I was learning about the history and the culture more than I ever had before when I was in church. And I, I had that crossroads where I was like, well, do I throw all this out and just, I guess, be an atheist, <laughs> you know, or, uh, you're in a weird, you're in a weird spot because, uh, atheists don't want you to be agnostic, agnostic, you know, agnostic seems to people don't know what that is. Uh, but I, I went, I kind of towed the line for, uh, with those two for quite a while. I would say a good few years. And, um, but once I started kind of, well, you know what? Uh, I don't know if I've mentioned this, I mentioned this briefly and every now and now, every now and then, but I did a, uh, I discovered a UCC church in Brea, California. I was driving by and I saw this little sign and they said, um, all are welcome. And they had a little rainbow flag on there. And I was like, wow, I've never seen a church broadcast that before. So I immediately slammed on my brakes, pulled over, took a picture and I contacted the church. And I was like, is someone available for an interview for the podcast? (laughs) 
And uh, I, they go, yeah, come on down for a Sunday and visit our Sunday school and come to Sunday school or whatever and uh, just visit the church and see what you think. And we'll, yeah, we'll definitely organize a, an interview with the pastors. And like uh, the mixture, the, the, the rainbow of colors of people in that church was transformative to me and seeing uh, them come to this safe space to worship together. They may not necessarily agree with everything that's being preached or whatever, but they were all held with a level of respect that we're all coming together as humans. And they had a potluck afterwards. Uh, it was just, it was incredible. I, I, you know, I'm, I, me, this straight white male uh, in a room full of, I mean, it was 75% LGBTQ and hearing their stories after church, talking to them, it was for me life changing in a sense that I had, I realized that I had set myself away from that community and had not been in, not, had not been in community with, with people that, you know, outside of my straight, cis, whatever, <laughs> you know, circle yeah. in, in, you know, the suburbs of Southern California. And I, I was emotional on the way home thinking about it on processing. And I, I cried. It was an hour and a half drive. I was an emotional wreck <laughs> for the entire drive home. And that's when I realized, I was like, there's something to this grace thing that I'd heard Jay Baker talk about, that I'd heard other certain people talk about. And I was like, that message that Jesus gives, uh, I can't throw that out. I can't. So there's something there. So that began the spark of me not throwing the baby out with the bathwater and kind of, you know, coming to where I am now at this church and our, you know, our pastor and her wife are amazing. We, uh, the community, it's small, like 20 people, but it's just, it's the same thing. Everyone of different lifestyles, uh, and even different beliefs, some more universalist than others, but coming together to respect each other and, and pursue this journey together. Uh, like to me, like that is what church is. Like that is what Christianity in a sense, that's, I think that's what Jesus was trying to say. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I don't think that's necessarily a new concept, you know, I, yeah. I, that, that, that we've been pushing. I mean, I've been, you know, I've been a Christian for over 20 years now. And I, I remember, like, I remember having these conversations 20 years ago oh. about, just whenever you walk into a community and you don't feel the same impediments, like somebody in that community has figured out something that your community that you just came from didn't know. Right. And, and you're meeting people. Like, I just remember that. I remember like, like that's one of the real luxuries of the, the experience that I've been able to have as a, as a, a touring musician, right? Is that I've been able to go to church, churches in the Northeast and in the South and in the Midwest and in the mountains and out West and the Pac Northwest and, you know, UCC churches and Methodist churches and all these different flavors. <laughs> and every, every community that I go to still has to stand on its own as a community, you know, and what defines them to me is not what they believe but how they are as a community, yeah. like what is the spirit of that community? I, it is. I think we've been talking about that for a long time and we're shocked every time that we walk into a room that gives us something that's a gift of the spirit. And, you know, for, I think for communities that have had the, you know, have put a rainbow flag on their porch I mean, it's not always a guarantee, right, that you're going to walk in and see a community that's as progressive as you want them mm -hmm. to be. Mm -hmm. Like that's, but I I think it is 
it is a there are signs out there of community of churches that are trying to say listen we're a, a growing church you know we're when people say that we're a welcoming church I, again I, I i don't think it's always a guarantee cuz i've walked into plenty of quote unquote welcoming churches that annoy the hell out of me um, <laughs> but I've also like understand that we're all in different stages of our community, but mm. what there is is a movement and a, and a willingness to say, listen, we're going to be responsible for challenging ourselves. And I think that's, you know, like on one hand, I get really excited when I see a rainbow flag on the outside of the church. And I also know that it's a challenge to faith-based communities that it's not just enough to mm-hmm. have the symbol of that. You know, mm-hmm. I would hate for the liberation of LG in the, the affirmation of the LGBTQ community to simply become a symbol for the church. And because right. it happens, I mean, I've been personally used in that way by some churches that say, oh, well, we'll, you know, we've got Jennifer Knapp here. So of course we're, you know, all the things you want us to be. Um, and that's not necessarily true because <laughs> they haven't heard me and they haven't listened to me and they haven't grafted me into their community. And I don't, I don't mean that, you know, everybody starts at a certain, a different place, but I think that's the challenge that we, we have. And when, when, uh, when, for me, when like, I, I don't know, just hearing your story and it, that knowing those moments of liberation, when you just like walk away from a place and being deeply moved by something enough to cry or enough to let go of something or dump it out or Mm -hmm. set it on fire, the loss and the joy of that all in the same breath is, is something I deeply relate to. And I don't have those experiences when I just keep repeating the same thing over again. Like they, I have to meet new people and I have to hear other stories and, when I hear other stories, I, I don't know, like I let go of my own baggage so fast. It's not even funny. I'm mm-hmm. like, Oh wow. Like I don't have to carry that here. It doesn't fit into this place. I don't have to make something, somebody else conform to this. I want to connect to other people. And all of a sudden I realize in my connection to other people, I'm not bringing some of the things that I thought I would bring. I'm not holding on to my security blankets of ignorance or, or, you know, one particular thing that I thought I believed, what I believe doesn't become nearly as important to the spirit of the people that I'm connecting with. It's just, it's, it's a shocking thing, but you, it's, it's, you know, it's also has to be deliberate. And I I think that's a place that I am, I got to be honest, like I'm shocked about it in my own life of having kept this damn wet baby. And, (laughs) and at the same time, like, grateful that I didn't do more damage by holding it by, you know, holding the baby out the window. Like it, it happens. And I think, I don't know, there's something beautiful about being able to see something redeemable in this process. And, and, and to me, a lot of it, yeah, it comes down to community and being up at a place where people are saying, listen, I, we're not here to tell you how to be, but we're here to equip you to be. And I, I think that to me is part of something that, the invitation, you know, for LGBTQ people into our faith community is an important part of, of waking up to that. Mm-hmm. And it, it's it's us for this season, and it will be another story, you know, hopefully 20 years from now, what the trend will be that will teach us. But this is an opportunity to for all of us to not use a people and experience, but to see an experience and respond to it because we are a community. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean— I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged by this season that we're in, uh, with this conversation, you know, that it's at least it's still being talked about and not swept under the rug, you know, and at least people are being challenged, I guess. But 
I feel like um, what the the difference I've seen lately is these conversations work better, and I've said this before, work better face to face. And the the problem there's the problem of the internet, you know, the anonymity of the internet and, and these social media, you know, spaces where people can just say anything. But but like you said, when you meet someone and hear their story, your your baggage immediately falls away. And that's how I am when I meet someone in person. And and it goes both ways. It's not just progressive thinking people. It's like even if you encounter someone who is conservative thinking or, you know, thinking different than you, uh, you have to like uh, approach them with the same amount of grace you would want them approach to approach you. And it's like this weird dichotomy, I think, especially over the past couple of years that um, that I've been thrown into with, you know, you, you got... We got family. Family's one way. So you, and you, I'm about to see a bunch of family in the next couple of days on Thanksgiving. So right, <laughs> welcome to Thanksgiving. <laughs> so you have to, through those personal relationships, drop some baggage at least, and hopefully, through there's grace in these conversations. As long as everyone can be grown ups and have conversations, that's where change, really change, can happen. I'm, uh, I don't know. It's a, it's a weird, I, I haven't really, I hadn't really thought about it till this year because I had, you know, I was like, I had been through that where I'm like, well, you don't think the way I do, you're not accepting. So therefore screw you. We can't talk. And which is a, a shocker to me about Christianity struggling so much with this. And I'm, yeah. I guess the challenge of Christianity, <laughs> right. That it does contest that. Well, first off that like overwhelmed, like I just cannot get past the point, and this frustrates me because it means that I have to connect with other human beings. Um, I can't get over the idea that the good news and what Jesus talked about was essentially social. I mean, mm-hmm. Jesus is connecting, and yes, Jesus taught, but he didn't bring a script and said, follow this. In fact, all of the time is kind of problematizing what happens when we when we just stick to the script, mm-hmm. that underneath of that is this essential, I don't know if I, that's a big word, but underneath <laughs> of that is an interaction and a listening and a breathing and a growing that happens. You know, that's what we're doing here. We're, you know, and I, I, Christ connected with humanity, didn't come and deliver a new, you know, didn't deliver the constitution of Christianity, but lived, you know, lived, connected, touched loved, extended grace, like didn't create the rule, you know, didn't just stand there and drop down, you know, sit in a court of law and decide what all the things were, at which point we would, you know, call holy on one side, sin on another and extend great grace at some demarcation line, right? It was a full bodied, full life, lifelong journey and process of Mm -hmm. connection with other people that's deeply driven by the spirit. And I, I don't even pretend to understand it. It's, it's, you know, now I'm just starting to kind of explore this, these concepts myself, um, what, what they mean theologically. And that's, you know, that's 20 years of my life <laughs> and there's 20 years ahead of it, knock on wood. And, and those are, those are things that I just, I've run into along the way. And if there's any challenge I would have to, these these kind of bumps in the road that we come across in Christianity where we we are at those points of deconstruction or are at those points of, you know, this crossroads of throwing the baby out the bathwater. It's it's not necessarily I'm not necessarily my aim isn't to try to keep tra- to keep tradition intact, 
but to learn from tradition. And then with every new experience that I have, um, you know, be it technology or these are the things that we're talking about now or contemporary culture, all that kind of stuff. That's where the rubber hits the road. Like, where am I willing to apply this in a new and creative way? What is deeply you know, what is the deepest part of that spirit and what is honest that connects me to the tradition that taught me what I know today and has equipped me for the moment now to respond to this new thing that I didn't know that I was prepared for. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that to me is like where, when I go to this concept of progressive Christianity, I, I'm, I'm mildly uncomfortable with the term. I think, yeah, you know, I know, right. But I, I hope that, I hope that what we're saying it, like most of us are saying when we use the term is that we are here, we acknowledge the things that are challenging our tradition um, from the past. And we're not wanting to just double down, but we want to be responsive to, to what's before us now yeah. and, and not necessarily think that we can superimpose and superimpose something and assume that we'll, we'll work today and that we do care and that we want to be responsive now with the, the accumulation of wisdom and experience and tradition that we've learned. So, and now all of a sudden I sound like a Methodist Um, (laughs) as if you, my colors weren't very clear, but you know, I, I, to me that that's, that's when, so when I say that, if, if ever I ever go, well, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm dealing with progressive issues and I'm not afraid to shy away from them. And some people I think will have, we'll have conservative responses to that. You know, what do we do with technology? You know, is, what do we do with the internet? What do we do with, you know, sexual orientation? I, I, what I, what I expect to see though, is, you know, a concerted effort to not just repeat something when we said, Hey, you know, this hasn't worked well for this, this us in the past, Mm -hmm. this is damaging people. This is hurting people. What does this mean? What have we learned by what we've done and what can we do better in the future? And that, that to me is my day-to-day challenge. It's not, you know, I, I would like to, to, I got to tell you, I'm not that inspired to be a a very good practicing religious Christian. (laughs) I'm not motivated. I got to tell you, I'm not like the, the rites and rituals don't entertain me as much as, as deeply um, trying to connect with like dive down into the well of what spirituality is. And, you know, I, I'm following the light that's been set before me through this particular, you know, like I say, Christianity is the, the, my native tongue and the language, which keeps me going, um, on that journey. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I always say when I talk about I mean, it, the fact that I'm even going to church now, people are like, wow, that's, I never did not expect that Sean would be going back to church. Um, so, <laughs> and I didn't either, but what keeps me there is, is the community and the relationships and, and there, there's, there's very minimal ritual things, um, not ritual, but like, you know, the, the call and response type things and the readings and everything. But uh, generally, you know, uh, for me, it's about kind of getting to, uh, hanging out with everybody afterwards, <laughs> you know? So, um, I want to, I want to, there's a few things I want to talk about before we wrap up here. And I wanted to talk about your, your latest album and I want to talk about some music for a little bit. And I did want to ask you what, what, what is, what is your muse for music? What is the music that just moves you? Like what makes Jennifer Knapp just shake her ass or bob her head? Uh, that's a good question. I, I, I think I'm kind of seasonal. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I am too. Yeah. Uh, right. I mean, right now, yeah. um, I am just, 
I, I feel like I'm mining for gold. <laughs> I, mean, I feel like I'm just going round into dark corners and going deeper and deeper into the mine and and finding gems. I, I feel like that's part of what I do, but I'm also really enjoying being able to walk outside of the cave <laughs> to the light of day and and dust. I think maybe a bit of what I'm doing is I think I've done maybe like the mining in the last 20 years, not to mm-hmm. say that I'm complete, but I feel like I'm washing off the nuggets of gold right now um, and just and share and trying to figure out how to share them, you know, what mm. kind of looks like dusty ideas and, and things you don't quite know what you have. I, I, I feel like that's, showing up in in art and in the conversations that I'm having it, it that's just I don't know like all of these things that I do whether it's LGBTQ advocacy which is pretty specific kind of talking points but I, I don't know like I, I I feel really driven by like life being a really glorious and fabulous thing and how we get there is a precious thing that takes labor and love and it also in the season I think right now I feel like I'm having the luxury of being able to be there at the moment, it kind of goes from being dirty and not being sure what we have to something that's just incredible. You realize the riches that you have in your hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it, it, it makes me weep to, to know like how deep and how far I had to go and how much dynamite and danger that it took me to get that out of the mind, you know, yeah. but to take in it right now and just really hold dust that, that stuff off and hold it up to the sun and go, wow, that's, that's pretty incredible. I uh, I re- I revisited <clears throat> a handful of your albums this morning as I was working, <laughs> and uh, and I gotta say the last three albums specifically I adored. Um, and I just and then I went back and listened to even your first album, Kansas, and I was like, wow, <laughs> what a um, what I love about your musical journey is that uh, if you hear a Jennifer Knapp song. You can all, you know, as I started going back and back and back, it's always felt very much you. I feel like even when you were in the contemporary Christian arena, um, it felt very honest, you know what I mean? Like not manufactured. And then as yeah. we move in past that, um, uh, and just, man, um, the recent albums have just been just fantastic. And it's funny when you were, you know, younger, I was into like the punk rock and rock and roll. There was no way I was listening to a Jennifer Knapp album. <laughs> so I testosterone fueled young man. <laughs> I, I know. Right. Uh, my sister though, um, loved your music. And I think, I think I, I don't know if I bought her, uh, one of your CDs for her birthday or something or Christmas, but, um, she got super excited when she found out I was talking to you. So, <laughs> but, um, I, I find that actually fascinating. Like uh-huh. that, that particularly for for young Christians at the time when I was touring, like there seemed to be like a real impediment for dudes to like my music. Like they would like it, but they would almost tell me that they liked it on the download, <laughs> that, that they had been exposed to it because their sister had been listening to it, which, I, you know, strangely enough, probably speaks to the high kind of tensions that were rising for what it means to be a, a man or a yeah. dude. Or a chick or a girl, you know, because like I love the OC Supertones. I thought they were oh, great. Yeah. I toured almost exclusively with dude bands, and I just <laughs> fell in love with those big chumps, you know. <laughs> uh, but it wasn't the kind of music that like you know really got me inspired. But I didn't feel like I was crossing party lines to mm-hmm. buy a record. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I mean, you're, I, um, that's that's so funny, and and I think I always I remember I always was like I was never like. 
Oh, Jennifer Naps. I'm like, oh, I'm not, you know, I'm not listening to that at all. I always was like, there's always like a respect. I'm like, oh, well, it's not my thing, but you know, it's just pretty good. <laughs> you know? But you know, at, at the end of the day, like, I'm, I'm so grateful that that people get a sense of of honesty from it. Yeah, it, it is. Like, I don't know how much I can say, how much I can say to that without making it sound like. I've got some agenda to make myself sound good or something, but I mean, there's not, there's an authenticity. I'm, I'm grateful that comes out. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not very, to be honest, I'm just a shitty poker player. Like (laughs) I, I, I don't know. I've never been very good at being something that I'm not. Mm -hmm. And I'm not very, I don't, I really don't think too much of my songwriting, to be honest, in in terms of being able to manipulate words to get a desired result. <laughs> like I don't, I don't know how to do that. But you know, I I know how to sit in a room and 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 kind of. I I mean I don't know. It's just part of my life. Yeah. It's the, sitting down and journaling. It's the way that I pray. It's the way that I try and connect to other people. I'm, I don't know. I'm not necessarily trying to do it for a buck. Aside from music, there's a lot of things that I've noticed that you've been doing. Um, and one of them is a nonprofit that you have called Inside Out Faith. And I was looking at your website and I saw a link to it. So I definitely wanted to bring that up and, and talk about that. So if you can tell us a little bit about what Inside Out Faith uh is and when it started and and all that. Well, Inside Out Faith, in short, is um, LGBTQ. Is we're just angling for um, LGBTQ affirmation and inclusion inside of faith communities, and um, so yeah, that largely stems from a lot of my work. You know, and and obviously in my coming out, there is a story. You know, inside of Christianity, and that raised a lot of questions. You know, not my story, but obviously it's an ongoing conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but it brought it home, the idea that the churches are really, unfam- you know, a lot of churches have, have spent time, a lot of preachers have spent time kind of preaching against, um, you know, people who are same-sex oriented and, and LGBTQ issues. And like that, that story is just actually hasn't been accurate, right? And so yeah. in, even in my own experience, um, just uh, coming across the, the value of what it means to be able to talk openly um, as a gay person of faith. Um, and that's kind of one of the ways that I've chosen to tackle it. I mean, initially people were just asking me, you know, why, what my experience was about, um, and, and my going to churches and being able to talk about my experiences, you know, one of the things that I say is that, that, you know, proximity breaks down prejudice. I mean, the, the story of getting to know LGBTQ people inside of our, uh, faith communities to understand how vital and important um, our faith life, our spiritual lives have been, and in being able to find wholeness and well-being in our own, um, you know, less talked about element inside of our faith traditions. So, yeah, inside out faith is part of not just um, you know the seed of sharing my own story, but um, we want to work to be able to bring the stories of other people inside inside of our faith communities to light and be able to show that that's a really positive thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because my my whole point whenever I talk to people who are uh, either either on the fence <laughs> about being affirming in the faith in these faith communities, or people who are just uh, against uh, biblically, quote unquote, air quotes, biblically against uh, the gay lifestyle, or or and they'll they'll say. The, the the descriptions that they lob it's like at <laughs> at at the lgbtq community is so like offensive but they think that they're being biblical but um but once you kind of i think that's important to break down the wall of the anonymity of the internet 
uh, and these conversations happening there. But actually, like people live in these little, just these little circular little communities that just they have never met a gay person in their life. They have never met a trans person in their life. They have no idea, and they're only going on what they've been, how they've been raised in these church communities, and uh, being able to fellowship with, you know, different people really breaks down a lot of walls. And it, it did in it did in my story for sure. Once I started uh, listening to my friends who who had come out, once I started, um, I don't know, just being involved in in community with with everyone, it really does change perspective. And, uh, it's just, you can always tell when someone is not, has not, <laughs> has no one in their life, you know, who's, who's gay or trans or whatever. Yeah. You know, I think, I think one of the, yeah, I think one of the interesting myths that, you know, I definitely heard early on in, in when I began to, to recognize myself as a same sex attracted, I hate that term, <laughs> um, but, uh, Oh, you know, it's like uh, kind of all of the kind of shorthand that we use. I mean, my the the person that I fell in love with happened to be, you know, of my same gen- same gender. And I think one of the the myths that intrigued me that that I had to kind of push against early on was this idea that, um, and it's often couched in the phrase, you know, I struggling against one's sexual uh-huh. orientation. And what was interesting to me early on personally is I didn't really struggle with who I was as an individual, but I certainly struggled against everybody else around me with this idea that if I gave into in some way um, my sexual orientation, that I was somehow going over to the dark side. (laughs) And that all of these amazingly terrible, dark, twisted things were going to happen in my life. Mm -hmm. You know, all of a sudden there wouldn't be any fruit in my life that it would you know, like the bad, like bad things would happen to you when you come out that because you're quote unquote living in a life of sin. And that kind of the idea of that, right, is that when we make poor decisions, that the fruit of those things are going to be, you know, devastating in their own consequences. And I I, I think the mythology of that, and, and that's what I call it, it's a yeah. mythology of, of of the idea that people, when they like, truly acknowledge what our, our natural inclinations are, um, where we are most whole. And, and I would say that these are the places where we're most whole, um, where we're most in tune with ourselves and comfortable and, and knowing who we are in the, in the world and in with God and that we're loved and accepted in that way really is that that's, that's a liberation. That's been a liberative experience for me, not necessarily. Um, and I, and it has been for a lot of LGBTQ people. And I think that's, you know, where inside out faith is one of the goals that I have in this, in this work is to, to bring to life that when people acknowledge the, that God loves them and who they are and, and teaches us how to love one another, sexual orientation and our gender identities inside of that become less, um, the focal point and rather, um, moving onto a space of understanding who we are as spiritual beings, as, as beings by a creator. That's a, a really valuable thing to be able to get your, your mind around. And, and I think that's the once kind of breaking through that 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 strange mythology, we start to realize that there are, uh, there's a vibrant community of LGBTQ people out there whose faith communities have not just you know they haven't evaporated because we've claimed and understood and been willing to integrate our sexual orientation and our gender identities in there you know uniquely you know the unique perspectives for with each one of us 
with each one of us as we carry it. When we start to live that out in our fullness, that's actually a liberation. Um, and my faith, for me personally, my faith um, has been one of the things that's made that possible. I'm not just tying it to you know this idea that there's a couple of perspectives in the in the Bible that people kind of go back to over and over again, but the larger story of that isn't just a byline. It's it's a life lived, and it's finding liberation. And what we're finding out is that. That people are are free and they're not, you know, not free to just live in some kind of weird, dark place of, you know, we just do whatever we want. Yeah. I think that's some of the arguments put out there, but rather that we find liberation that, you know, in learning to love, you know, there's a biblical quote that says, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength, and your neighbor is, you know, loving your neighbor as yourself. And if you don't know yourself, for me, if we don't know who we are kind of in the at the core of that and that our relationship and that we are created good and that we're loved by God, it's really hard to love your neighbor. Mm -hmm. And so getting to know the the people inside of our faith communities is, is one of the, the challenges I think that is in front of inside out faith community and everywhere I go, the, you know, the churches that didn't understand that are largely people who, who haven't taken the time to understand how important it is to have faith community inside of that, how important that is that, that people, are not trying to abandon their faith. Um, right. You know, for, for many people or LGBTQ people who are not trying to abandon their faith, but trying to make sense of their faith in light of who they are. And I, I don't think that's a, a wildly um, different experience than any yeah. human being has inside of their faith tradition. So, yeah. you know, that's the goal of Inside Out Faith. And I spend, you know, when I, whenever I'm engaging conversations around the, the around and with the church, it's kind of trying to reclaim that space of against a narrative that's trying to push people out rather than trying to figure out a way that, that God shows love. Um, at, yeah. at the end of the day, um, when I began to really try and contemplate even deeply and theologically, and even going back to the Bible, what what love does and what it does in its action, I, I've never seen love work in a way that rejects somebody from from our midst. Love is always anchoring, you know, seeking to anchor people and graft people in. Um, love is always a, an act that we get to participate in. Um, that's always drawing people in and near and figuring out what is here that I can treat with love and compassion and respect. Um, so that's, that's part of our goal, um, to, to be able to be in the midst of that conversation and not just fight, you know, not just call out the enemies, you know, like this, these ideas of bad theology that kind of push this idea, but to hopefully to be able to foster the kind of communities that we should have when we don't understand someone or a person or something going on in our midst that we'll dig down deeper with compassion and understanding and with the wisdom that we have, you know, behind us with the hope of the future that's before us to be able to, to love one another deeply, respectfully, and hopefully be able to foster stronger faith communities. Yeah. It's it's devastating when someone uh, in a church community feels like they have only two choices. Either I come out uh, and, and leave church or <laughs> I keep it a secret so I can stay involved in this faith, faith community. It's, it's just an awful uh, set of choices that many people think that they have. But I love that there's becoming more awareness. I mean, the church I'm involved in, the UCC church I'm involved in, it's, it's such, been such an amazing uh, step in my journey, especially with my kids being around just a bunch of different people and seeing that, seeing that deep love 
that uh, that, that that this community has for one another, and seeing that work, um, and and really showing like the true nature of what I believe God is, and that is just love. Um, that's that's what I've seen in this community. So it's it's so important, but it, it's it's awful that that people think that they have to have this choice, you know, and it's it's just not not the case. Did you um? You know. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Well, uh, go well, I was just going to yeah. say, like, <laughs> I was just going to say that one of the things that that really strikes me is that you you don't have to be a Christian or involved in a faith community to have the insult of somebody saying to you that God doesn't love you and right. God doesn't accept you and that you're going to hell. Like, you can be a, a hardlining atheist, agnostic, whatever, a non-believer in any kind of thing in the world, and we still know what that means. I mean, there's something genuinely insulted, insulting about the 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 element of our existence that's not welcomed into the world. And that, that to me is just totally antithetical, you know, against any, any concepts that we have of God and, and God's nature to say that, that God would is on a mission to kind of limit the kind and qualify and create and judge and value one creation over another. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just extraordinarily limiting to me. And, and I, I think we see the devastation of that played out in our LGBTQ community, unfortunately, um, when it goes bad. And then I, at the same time, I think when it goes well, we, again, I kind of circle around to the fruit and the kind of liberation that happens when we begin to love people who, for who they are, where they on their, where they are in their space, love people by who they present themselves to us in, in their best available selves and, and, and partner with that and share with that. And I, I think to me, that's one of the core values of, of what faith, at least in my experience and in my tradition has been able to teach me is that, you know, it's not my, my space to, to try and comprehend what's good and what's bad about the world, but to be able to be an engaged with it and learn to love people, um, to see the beauty of creation in, in all of the people that are around me. And, uh, and I think that's one of the principles we try and bring to Inside Out Faith. Yeah. Was, was your work with Inside Out Faith, did that contribute to you wanting to pr- pr- uh, pursue your master's? Uh, it was it in theology? Uh, well, my, going to back to get my master's was, yeah, I mean, as part of it is, is because I, I take very seriously um, the conversations inside a faith community that deal with the theologies and the doctrines. I mean, these, these rules that we make or these ideas that we get um, about God, we, we build our rituals around them. We build mm-hmm. the walls of our church around them. Um, but you know, I wanted to understand, you know, that, and I wanted to deeply respect that. Um, I think, you know, there's a history of, of good thought and writers and contributors and, you know, from our Bible to the pastor in, you know, our local church, I want to take seriously the role that, that the Bible takes in this conversation, but I also want to take seriously the role that God has with us as individuals. Um, part of another. So yeah, I mean, getting my master's in theological studies was a part of taking, you know, the, the legacy of, of our, and the study and the knowledge of our faith very seriously. 
Um, and, and for me, that was, you know, on a personal note, one of the reasons that's keep, kept me engaged in faith mm-hmm. is because I've been able to keep my mind engaged in faith, to be able to understand the, the history of where uh, my faith tradition in Christianity has been and what it's traveled through makes me realize that there are a lot of unheard voices throughout our history, that it's not just the majority that's been, you know, everything that kind of comes a lot across the waves, for example, you know, there are a lot of people today that think that Christianity is only um, what you hear on the news, like yeah. this evangelical conservatism, Republicans. And, you know, there's a wide variety of, of experiences that that we don't get to see and that we don't always hear because the majority doesn't always get published the same way that the people on the margins do. So that, that was really helpful for, for me to even continue to participate as I, I got to, you know, one of the first things that I did, you know, in my own coming out process was just like wanting to throw the baby out with a bathwater. Mm-hmm. I was like, screw it. I'm not going to go back and hang out with the church ever again because they don't like me. But then I wondered, I started asking the question, well, why doesn't the church like me? And I I found out that it wasn't the church with the capital C, you know, it was, it was the people that have the microphone right now (laughs) were, were kind of dominating that conversation. And throughout, you know, as I, you know, found other contemporary writers that, you know, theological, thinkers, you know, anywhere from, from, you know, Henry Nowen to Tillich to, to Bart, um, I can be, you know, even, you know, nerdy about this. <laughs> the, the questions that I think the questions that really intrigue me and keep me engaging in my process are not, you know, what are the, what are the list of the do's and don'ts, but rather what is the spirit of God and what is the nature of God and how do I touch the, how do I begin to touch the hem of that? And how do I begin to embody the spirit of that? Um, and it's not as, you know, what I discovered is it's not as simple and cut and dry. It's, it's wide and it's vast and excitingly creative. Um, you know, my imagination cannot come up with enough to, to be able to blow the doors open on the possibilities of what it means to love and to be able to enjoy who we are in this life. Um, and it has very little strangely to do with, with sex. Um, but it has a lot to do with being able to say, you know, what with this body of mind that I've been given, do I get to be able to be a blessing, um, not only experience it in my own life, but be a blessing to others. And I I think that's part of the challenge before us. Yeah. Yeah. That's so awesome. I mean, you once, once I discovered there's more outside of the evangelical fundamentalist circles, I was, my mind was, was blown. And that really has, has brought me to where I am today. And, um, and, and everything. And it's, it's, you know, I love that. It's, I love that it's not cut and dry. I love that we have to kind of dig in, uh, to understand what the writers, the lens that the writers were looking through <laughs> to try to figure out God on their own and with their own social, you know, their own sociological, uh, circles and things like that. I mean, once you, once you kind of embrace that, it's, it's almost even more exciting to look into all this. And it's just not, the Bible's like not this instruction manual that we have to follow. It's this, uh, it's, it's, it's this thing that embraces the mystery of yeah. God. And you said, you know, having this experience on our own. And I think that's, you know, I, that's one of the, like the trigger or the asterisk kind of comments that I know that, that I've heard people in my own experience when I've, when I've talked about my own experience and how I've discovered and experienced God, you know, an asterisk comes out that you can't really do that on your own. Right. <laughs> Like there's this challenge that kind of somewhat invalidates our individual experience. But I think that for me circles back around to 
the the role that community and church plays. I mean, yes, I can have an individual experience. I, I do have a perspective on the world that is uniquely mine. Unfortunately, I can't live in someone else's body. I don't have, you know, somebody else's eyes. I have my own and I, my experiences are limited to how far I can reach in the journey that I've walked. The value of that community is when I when I think that I begin to understand something about this experience, to be able to bring it back to a community, to to be able to get in touch with another human being and say, this is what I've experienced. Will you validate this for me? Will you share this with me? Will you spread this with me? You can have some of what I've experienced. All of those things, I think, speak to the great loss when we think that we are on our own um, mm-hmm. and at the same time speak to the great loss when we think that our experience is the only one that matters. Um, that's the irony of it is, yes, our experiences individually deeply matter, um, but they are an on, on an island. If we don't find a way to be able to integrate them back into community and find partnership and fellowship with other people who m- make that one grain of sand into, you know, a wealth of, a, you know, a vast long beach of all of our experiences joined together. I think that's, I think, you know, coming out of uh, my divinity school experience, I think one of the the things that shocked me because I, I do, I confess to being a rather intellectual approach to my faith tradition and my practice. But I think one of the things in walking out of there that surprised me the most is how much I started to really understand the value of community and other people and the social element of what we're talking about. I mean, God didn't just, you know, in my mind, God didn't just create us as one individual. We talk about how it's not good to be alone. And I think there's something that comes out in the fruit of seeing us all kind of all planted in the garden together, not just being one flower that's beautiful, but to see the you know, the landscape of that and the wider picture is a really important thing to, to be able to take in. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I agree. So, uh, we're running out of time here, but I wanted to, uh, talk a little bit about your, your little, your Christmas, uh, the Christmas, is it an album or is it a tour? You and Margaret Becker have recorded <laughs> songs together. Uh, you do have uh, some upcoming shows and uh, I just heard your Amazon song today. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> oh, hilarious. Yeah. Um, Yeah, well, back in 2012, Margaret Becker and I recorded a a record called The Hymns of Christmas. And we took our, you know, our little artistic take to some of our favorite hymns. And uh, every Christmas we try and get together. And this year we've got a little mini tour. We've got some left where we're running through Michigan and doing some live shows. And uh, this summer, actually, Margaret and I wanted to create some new Christmas songs. So as you already mentioned, we've got some a fun little ditty called Come On Amazon (laughs) and the I love it. The premise of that is that Amazon's basically replacing Santa Claus. Um, Cause you know, who needs Santa coming down the chimney? It's unsafe. Just get Amazon to bring it to your doorstep. Yeah, especially once um, they start doing drones. Then, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> and then, and then we've got another one called the, like uh, the family Christmas, the, the family Christmas survival guide, which is set to the, 12 days of Christmas and it's a bit of a humorous take on the things and the tactics that we take and being able to get through those cramped, cold, every, you know, all of our family members are <laughs> smashed in around the dinner table kind of experience. So and that has a bit of humor in it as well. Very nice. Awesome. Um, yeah, I look forward to that. Yeah, the, you just tweeted out the the song and is, is, is it on YouTube? The Amazon one? Can people find that on YouTube or where, where can they yeah, find it? Yeah, we've got it. Uh, it's on my 
Yeah, it's on my face. The there's a fun little video for come on Amazon on our Facebook page. Um, there's a it's it's on YouTube as well, and uh, you can go to store.cdbaby.com and you can download the singles. Um, and I maybe stop by jennifernap.com and you'll be okay. able to see where we're uh, spruiking our wares. Awesome, awesome. Yes, everyone, go to jennifernap.com. Everything's there. Um, you also do. I did. I haven't mentioned yet your your book, uh, but your book is out. It came out, uh, you know, a few years back. That's on Amazon, uh, facing the music, uh, talking about your story in, in detail, and uh, I want to send people there as well. So there's going to be links to everything in uh, in the show notes, so you can find all all the stuff we have talked about. Um, and Jennifer, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. It's been just a pleasure to to talk to you about all the stuff. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I want to thank Jennifer Knapp for being my guest on today's episode, as well as all of you for listening and making 2018 the Armchair Philosopher's most successful year. If you have any questions, comments, topic, or interview suggestions, please drop me a line. You can email the show at readme at theaxpx.com, or you can call or text by using the hotline number, 951-723-5586. For past episodes, please visit theaxpx.com. They also should all be on iTunes or Google Podcasts or Spotify. If you want to help support the podcast, you can become a patron saint over at Patreon. Patreon.com slash theaxpx. I try to do a diary when I have time. I've been <laughs> fall off the wagon a little bit lately due to uh, me trying to build up a voiceover business. But I'll be jumping into that soon. I know there's a couple that I want to do before the year ends. So there will be some more bonus content heading your way. We also have a little bit of merchandise in the Screaming Pods store over at ScreamingPods.com. And while you're there, please check out these other fine podcasts. I kind of consider these my uh, my sibling podcasts. There is Sancta Colloquia, The Life After, and The Sacred Collective. So if you like conversations like this, Please check those podcasts out. I believe uh, you'll be very happy you did. Well, uh, this is it. I hope all of you have a wonderful holiday season. I'm wrapping up 2018, and uh, it really has been a wonderful year of podcasts. I'm very happy with the shows that I put out, and I'm very excited to kind of tackle 2019. There's a lot of things I want to talk about, a lot of people I want to talk to, and uh, so I will talk to all of you in 2019. Take care.